greetings. Just wanted to thank everybody for all the love and support. That you've shown the Fade to Gray podcast. And we are so excited to be bringing you with us on this journey through the Fade to Gray network. If you are a follower of the Fade to Gray network, can you take 30 seconds right now to follow the links below? Where you can subscribe, share, and review our podcasts. All of this really gives us a huge hand up in getting exposure. Comment below when you're done. Thank you all very, very much. Thank you so, so very much. Thank you so much. We love you. Thank you. Have you ever experienced a panic attack? Have you ever wondered if you were going to be outed as an imposter? Have you ever wondered if life isn't worth living? Have you ever thought God was just an asshole? Ever wondered if your faith has completely fucked up your life? Have you ever looked at yourself in the mirror and saw something completely different than what everybody else sees? Introducing Mental Podcast with co-hosts Michelle Collins and Seth Showalter. We're not afraid to ask the hard questions. Check us out on your favorite podcast platform. Good. Cool. We are in sync. We got our cheese flowing. And Not Justin uh, Timberlake. I love cheese. All right. Seth, tell me when we're live. I never know. I have to fill out the page. Because you don't have the Holy Spirit to tell you that we're always <laughs> just in sync that way. <laughs> flowing with the Spirit of God. If, if you're Justin Timberlake, what does that make me? What's the dude that's in the food and did the like a dance with the stars and stuff? Joey. Joey. <laughs> I think Chris would be Joey. I don't know what that is. <laughs> I know ba- Backstreet Boy. Not How Backstreet can you Boys? be born oh. in 1983? Oh, you're not a girl. You no, kids on the block. That's my <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Yes. Yeah. Okay. Three, yeah, you're right. Two, Keith, that's his last one. name. Yeah. I think so. Ladies and gentlemen, it brings me great pleasure to introduce the best-selling author of the Jesus Un book series, co-host of Heretic Happy Hour podcast, program director, Peace Catalyst in El Paso, Texas, and most recently interviewed by The Anderson Cooper on CNN. What? It's yep. Keith. Keith, how are you doing today, man? Hey guys. Welcome, Keith. Thank you so much. What it's an my intro. honor to be here. It's, this is uh, going to be a lot of fun. Yep. Where's the yeah. music at, though, Chris? Come on. You, you... Nope, not doing it. <laughs> he's, he's in open protest of our intro music. Sorry, uh, Mr. Dan Coke, for all your hard work. I love the song. I just think it's cheesy to play it on here and for all of us just to sit here for a whole minute while it passes by. I, but I love it, though, because I feel like it sets the tone. Of who we I, are, the tone and what feels we great do. to me. Yeah. But you know what I want to do is set the tone. I don't want to talk about this. I want to talk about Keith. <laughs> me too. Let's do that. <laughs> whatever. Yeah, I don't, whatever. I'll talk about whatever. I want to know Keith's so, opinion about not playing the intro music. Is what I want to know first. No, I don't. Can we move on? <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So Keith, we want to get your story, man. We want to know all about you. Um, you obviously have uh, some background when it comes to faith. So how did you fall in? into this crazy religion of Christianity falling in. You all, well, you always that's a good question. Um, I guess uh, that's well, it's, it's kind of hard to answer that question. I mean, when you say how, because there's so many factors, right? Um, I yeah. mean, 
I mean, if you're a Calvinist, you got chosen. Right. Well, no. so, I mean, I wasn't raised in a Christian home initially. Um, my mom and dad. Oh, so here's a quick version. I, we, I was born in Tennessee, a small town of Tennessee. Um, when I was probably around kindergarten, I think my parents, my mom and dad got a divorce. And I remember that. I remember my dad moving out and he's, he was living in an apartment in this little town, Brownsville, Tennessee. And, um, and the, the, um, the judge who presided over their divorce, um, and I've never even heard of this before, but apparently he had some kind of thing where he said um, that if my parents reconciled in, you know, 30 days or something like that, that the divorce would be null and void. And apparently they did. Um, apparently wow, they, that's interesting. They did. I mean, because they're still together. <laughs> they're actually still married. Wow. Um, now, so I didn't know that, right? So I'm just a kid. And I remember, I remember being at my babysitter's house and I was supposed to be taking a nap and I'm laying uh, on her bed by myself and I'm talking to God. Now, that's weird because we never went to church and we weren't Christians, but I talked to God anyway. And I'm talking to God and I actually told God, and I'm not, I'm not making this up. I told God, if you get my mom and dad back together, I'll be a preacher. Oh, wow. I don't even know how I knew what one was. I think maybe one time I had visited well, with my next door neighbor. We, I went with him to like Sunday school or something. And, but anyway, I just, anyway, I made this deal with God <laughs> and then lo and behold, my parents got back together and we ended up moving to Texas and thank um, God for that. Sorry. Thank God for that. But you know what? <laughs> yes, I do thank God for that because all of my cousins and friends and uncles and everyone I would have grown up with in Tennessee, if I had stayed there, I'm sad to say many of them, um, they grew up and I would have grown up with a whole lot of sort of like prejudice against black people. Mm-hmm. And I really do count that as a blessing that, because what ended up happening, we moved to Texas and in Texas, um, I was like one of the only white guys in my school and they were all Hispanic. Right. Yeah. So I was the minority all of a sudden. And what's interesting is I didn't care. I didn't notice. They were just my friends, you know? And I think actually part of that was a gift for me. Um, anyway, so I kind of, I kind of missed a lot of that. And I would notice it when we go back to visit, you know, like my cousins and my aunts and uncles, I'd be hearing them talking and I'd be like, what's wrong with you? Uh, but anyway, we ended up going to a church in Texas. And um, like I said, I feel, I feel like I was sort of a Christian before I was officially a Christian. You know what I mean? Because I was already asking my mom and dad about God and heaven and all this stuff. I was curious. I was always asking questions about it. My parents had no clue. And, and, and I guess that's why they found a church. We ended up going to a church and, you know, then, then I got sucked into the program, right? I'm just genuinely looking for God as a kid and I want to know who God is. And then the only answer you're given is, well, you have to pray this prayer and walk down front and, you know, do these things and jump to these hoops and then you'll get the thing you're looking for. So we did. <clears throat> right. And, um, and then, you know, slowly you kind of get indoctrinated into stuff. So. And how old are you at this time? Whenever you actually, I guess, like said the sinner's prayer or whatever. Yeah. I have it written down somewhere. I think I was like nine. Okay. Gotcha. Like and I want to ask, um, you mentioned how like your parents didn't have a clue and then you ended up going to church. Do you think that you led your parents into the church in a way? Well, I don't know. I think I might have led them to search 
spiritually because because we didn't we kind of meandered right so mm-hmm. we visited a methodist church for a while and then we didn't like that my parents didn't like that we almost became mormons um Ooh. Didn't, that didn't happen that's different that would have been you know that would have been a different story yeah you lucked out it, it could have worked <laughs> out really differently but we yeah we visited a mormon church we had the mormon guys come into our house my dad had a co-worker who was a mormon we went to their house and went to their family home evening stuff and we started practicing it and they got and a pretty kick-ass heaven switch. you have to admit well That's i don't true. know <laughs> <laughs> but there I mean, was you like get a to be like king of your own universe right if i could have my own planet man. yeah yeah, yeah, right? yeah. got cool. your own planet <laughs> yeah so you know and then we ended up at this lighthouse free will baptist church and that's kind of how we got into the baptist thing and then um so yeah so your dad had to stop drinking I don't know. I don't, yeah, not really. <laughs> or no. hide it better. He didn't right. really drink that much. He would drink a beer once in a while, but I even, I remember, yeah, it's so funny because it's funny how that stuff gets imposed on you. When I, when I got married, when Wendy, Wendy and I got married, we were living in El Paso and I, I had just been licensed and ordained uh, as a, as a minister at the Southern Baptist church we were at. I was doing music ministry and youth ministry. And it was our anniversary one year, and I went to the grocery store to get a bottle of wine or champagne, and that's all I was buying. I wasn't buying anything else. I'm only, I'm just holding like a bottle of wine. <laughs> and a pastor from another Baptist church walked in Oof. as I'm standing in line, and he's like, "Hey, Keith, how you doing?" He comes over to me, and he's talking to me, and I'm like dying and like trying to hide this bottle. You know? <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, it's so silly, you know. I look, I look back on that now and I just think, What's, why, did I, why did I play into that? But When I was in ministry, me and the other guy that I lived with, who was also a worship pastor, we always went to Walmart at like 1 or 2 a.m. to buy alcohol for that, exact, for that exact reason. Yeah, I lost out on a youth ministry position because one of the deacons of the church saw me drinking, uh, uh, you know, a, a margarita at Chili's with a bunch of other, you know, college leads uh, from the church. <laughs> he was like, nope. Yeah. You're not going to get it. <laughs> you know, and I remember I remember like a moment of sort of like clarity, like a moment of freedom or something. So when I first moved to California. I graduated college and I moved to California and I took this job at a Christian music company, Diamante music. And cool. it's like, it was the company that started, that was distributing tooth and nail records. If you can never follow. Oh, yeah. oh, well yeah. we, we know all yeah. about tooth and nail. Yeah. So Brandon Ebel, uh, I, I know him. So his first sales conference oh, as awesome. tooth and nail was my first sales conference uh, as a, as a sales rep. And he, and he would take me with them and we'd go to check out bands and all this stuff. I, anyway, I'll tell stories about that in a minute, but the owner, the guy that was running Diamante Music, which was the distribution company I was working for, I stayed, I stayed at his house for about a week or two when they first moved me out there and I got hired. And I remember going, I got up in the morning and everybody else was asleep and I went in to get like some cereal out of the fridge and I opened his refrigerator and in the refrigerator were like bottles of wine and a six pack of beer and I had that moment of like, oh my gosh. And then it suddenly dawned on me, well, he knew I was going to see this and he doesn't care. <laughs> and I just thought, how awesome is that? Yeah. He he's not self-conscious. He's not trying to hide it. And we're all Christians, and it's cool. And I was like, okay, that's cool. All right. Let's just not play this game anymore. Yeah. That's yeah, funny. That's, yeah. I, I grew up in a Presbyterian family, so alcohol was no big deal. Right. And then when I got married, we ended up, like, and Omar's family didn't care either when 
when we got married, but then we got married and we started working for an Assemblies of God church and it's very, they're very much against alcohol. And we worked for the, this church for five years and I always took issue with it, always took issue with it. And then once we left that situation and came and moved here to Pennsylvania, I'm very free with the fact that, hey, I, I drink. Yes. <laughs> like, and you know what's I make so sure silly about know. it is there is absolutely no scriptural basis whatsoever for arguing that you can't drink alcohol. What was right. Jesus' first right. miracle? Turning water to right. wine at a party yeah. that had been going <laughs> no, on for five stuff. days. And he, and, yeah. and he did it for <laughs> people who had already been hammered. For five days. <laughs> right. And he gave them more. Like, yeah. It's just silly. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. So you weren't drinking at nine years old, though. Let's continue on. So you <laughs> you became a Christian. You said the sinner's prayer. Well, we don't know. We hope. I don't think I mean, you know. <laughs> No, but 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 let's let's just park there for a second. Nine year old making a lifelong commitment to accept God into his heart. Like, can we just talk about how crazy that is? Yeah, well, I mean, it didn't feel crazy at the time. You know what I mean? It actually felt for me, and it's odd because I again I was only nine years old, but it felt for me like finally, you know, someone answered my questions and someone is telling me. Again, here's what here, here's really the odd thing about it, right? Here's the I mean, I can only see this now looking back, but at the time I had no way of seeing this. Like what I was looking for was for someone to show me how to be connected with God. I already was. I was talking to God already, right? I was laying in bed talking to God and and I was already connected to God, but I I thought that I needed someone to help me do that. And then and so that's kind of it's you know, in some ways, that's kind of the whole, like, um, uh, you know, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? If you eat of this tree, you will be like God. Well, actually, you already are created in God's image, and the life you have, he breathed into you. So, you know, nothing on this planet is more in the image of God than you. So, you don't really need to do anything else outside of yourself, right? But again, again, yeah, I just thought I needed something outside myself to connect to God. And so at the time, it felt great. It felt good, you know? Yeah. It's just, to me, that's such a, an important life decision to make at such a young age. You know, what religion you're going to be a part of. And, you know, choosing which, I guess, like you, you said, you guys kind of hopped around different churches, choosing which denomination that you're going to put all your faith into and all your, you know, eggs in that one basket. Um, and I don't know that you necessarily had a decision in that, uh, no. you know, your parents no, are probably the ones yeah. that decided. Yeah. But it's still just like, it's such a, a big deal. And I kind of have a similar story in that, you know, I am definitely not raised in the church, but yet somehow, uh, I had knowledge of God. I had a calling from God at an early age. Um, and, and you know, that's what drew me into it. And my mom was warning me, don't go, don't go be part of that crazy stuff, you know, but I, I did it anyway. And, um, it, it is interesting how I, you, whenever I hear other people have a similar story. Um, it's, it's interesting to hear kind of like how that came about and stuff. So, so you know what, yeah. hearing you talk about that, Chris, it's like, it, it, I can't help but wonder like, what if, wouldn't it be wonderful and refreshing if there was some way to introduce children 
to to like to well I more like I should say to not introduce children to religion or to God to just let children be children and let yeah. them develop their own ideas of God and maybe I don't know we could listen to them and learn from them right Jesus says unless you become like a little child you won't enter the kingdom like um, because it's almost like yeah we we're so quick to give answers and to indoctrinate you know kids or even even adults you know into our systems and and when you don't even have any idea when you're do when you're when you're saying yes to that like when we just thought we were becoming christians or we were joining that church you have no idea that what you are doing by choosing that church is not choosing 25 or you know a thousand other options and that you're accepting these sets of doctrines versus these other ones you don't know that right, right. And, and you're not questioning those things and, and it's yeah, it's really, um, yeah, it's really sad to me. Yeah, it's almost like we. You stifle any creativity. Yeah, uh, and, and, we're, and we're not we're even teaching, we're not even allowing people um, the opportunity to develop their own ability to connect with God. Like, I think there is an automatic thing. I mean, like I said, I experienced that. I, I never went to church. No one told, I never read the Bible. Um before any of this happened to me. And I had no problem. I, I mean, I knew there was a God. I was talking to him. I kind of felt like we were, you know, sort of having a conversation. I didn't hear a voice or anything. Right. But I had, you know, it felt like it could, I was connected and there was something happening. And, and um, yeah, I almost wish maybe we had never done anything. <laughs> who, knows, who knows what would have happened, right? Right. I find that interesting as a parent of four kids because we've got four. Two of them were uh -oh. raised very lost her, much. Lost your audio there. Yeah, we lost Elizabeth. Oh, shoot. Um, but I agree with you. Check one, two. As a parent. <laughs> it, I'm a parent, too, and it's very fascinating. Uh, can you hear me now? I, I don't not. know what to do. Let's see if you're, oh, you're back, Elizabeth. Let's see if you have. Okay. Check one, two. Um, so I, I was just saying, I just find it really interesting as a parent of four kids um, that we've been in this similar situation. Like, what do we do with our kids and how do we teach them about God if we even do teach them about God? Like, what do we say? Because we're struggling so much with our own faith and what we grew up believing. And two of our kids were in the middle of the whole church shit that we went through. I mean, we had two kids. I was pregnant with our third when everything blew up. And since we've been here in Pennsylvania, we really haven't attended a church, really. Like, our youngest is five and has not set foot in a church but for christmas and maybe one other time <laughs> like, yeah she doesn't know she doesn't know anything she she was one that last year was telling us there was no god yeah um now you ask her now and she says there is a god so i don't know what happened between then v and now vacation but... bible school there you go <laughs> oh yeah maybe. i forgot yeah. she got indoctrinated at vbs yep. <laughs> last <worked>. year <laughs> yeah you know because i so i have i have two boys that just graduated college um and so we did kind of raise them, you know, as we were in the church and all that kind of stuff. But of course, then we deconstructed some things and um, they were, they're both pretty aware of the things we deconstructed. But in a lot of it, a lot of it, you know, Wendy and I end up having to go back and apologize for stuff. And we're like, you know, we're so sorry we told you this and we told you that and we emphasize this and that. And now we don't believe that anymore. We're sorry. And, you know, <laughs> please forgive us and all that. Um, but in some ways, I mean, I guess it's, I'm, I, I'm glad at least that, you know, we not only sort of brought them into a faith, but then as we deconstructed, we were also very open with them about things like 
yeah, we don't we don't believe this anymore, and here's why. And yeah, we, uh, okay. We well, that's that's my question, Keith. I'm kind of been sitting back on the sidelines, kind of waiting because that's what I want to know. Is you keep mentioning the things that you've deconstructed. What what of Christianity have you deconstructed? Um, well, a lot. <laughs> so, I mean, do you want to so like the chronologically? What are the most significant? What are the most significant things? Well, the the, the sort of the big, the really big kind of piece that kind of the first domino that set everything in motion um, was even though I had been licensed and ordained as a pastor and I was serving on, you know, I'd, uh, serving on staff at a church and all that and had been doing this for at that point, probably almost a decade. And who were you uh, ordained with? So I was licensed and ordained with Southern Baptist okay. um, so denomination. The same, the same denomination that, the you, Lord. that you started going to church with when you were yes. nine years old then. Yes. So did you, you stayed with them from nine years old until your they got ordination? Him. Until ordination. And then pretty much about a few years after that, um, Wendy and I moved to California, as I mentioned. And then when we moved to California, we With those damn up, liberals. Yeah, we got involved. With, <laughs> well, we got involved with the Vineyard Church Movement. Ah, and, uh, yes. Abba Father. Yeah. So, um, and I worked for the record company Vineyard Music Group. I, I worked for them for like three and a half years. And uh, anyway, so anyway, we were at the Vineyard Church. We had we actually had planted helped to plant a Vineyard Church um, called the River in Tustin, California, and was on staff there. And and it, so then at that point, the big epiphany for me, the big deconstructing for me, was the gospel that the gospel oh, wow. wasn't about saying a prayer so I can go to heaven when I die. And that blew my mind. And I was, and I really felt not only very disillusioned and kind of ripped off, like how no one told me this. I never saw this. Um, I've been telling people that it's this, but it isn't this. I myself have sort of wasted. I felt like I'd wasted, you know, <laughs> a lot of my Christian life. Um, this is going to sound blasphemous to Keith, but I don't, actually blame Billy Graham for that with the whole oh, yeah. growth thing, because it doesn't exist. Like you said, it doesn't even exist in the Bible, no. but, but somehow like they've connected the dots and said, okay, well, here's your magic ticket. And then go on these crusades where you get like millions of people quote unquote saved and then yeah. nothing changes. And then it just waters down what Christianity is. And yeah. Can we also talk about how much money they were probably making in that entire endeavor? Oh my God. That oh, was gosh, a yes, capitalist dude. that like, that wasn't about like, for real, I don't know. Given the amount of money that they made, it really makes me question what was actually going on there. But I didn't mean to dera derail you, though, Keith, because you were talking about that was the first thing that started deconstructing for you was the gospel because you were sold this whole fucking Romans Road thing yeah. that was to polish yeah. it. So anyway, keep going. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that, that I paraphrased correctly. I'm sorry. Oh, no, you, you paraphrased it accurately. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, so that was the big, a real big kind of like, wow for me and um it just it just sent me back to kind of rethink everything and so then out of that uh about the same time um wendy and i had been feeling that we were we should leave and start another start a church uh, we were gonna with our family we were gonna leave that church we had planted and we felt at the time that god was calling us to start another church and we prayed about it and we finally said okay god, we'll do that and we already had some ideas of what it would look like and then but then, then what we felt like God was saying was, and we didn't get this initially, this is sort of like once we had prayed about it and said yes, then we felt like God said, oh, by the way, 
um, the church I want you to start gives everything away and doesn't keep anything for itself. All the money goes to the poor. That actually does and, sound like God. Yeah. That sounds like a <laughs> church yeah. I might be interested in. Well, yeah. And so we were like, this sounds awesome, but I still need to feed my kids. And I live in California. How do I do that? So uh, we ended up just meeting in homes and I got a job uh, working for a marketing uh, agency and did that for 10 years. And um, so, yeah, I didn't work at a church anymore. You know, the, the church was just meeting in our home, different homes and uh, things like that. And we did that. So that was a big thing. And then, but once, so that was, that was pivotal though, because by leaving um, the vineyard and, and starting a house church, the house church we started had no denominational ties, no theological ties, no spiritual covering. We didn't have mm -hmm. a statement of faith. And so because of that, we had incredible freedom to, you know, do this crazy thing like think for yourself and <laughs> read whatever you want. And you could read this book or listen to that person and, and you don't have to accept everything, but you could go, oh, that's kind of cool. You know, what do you think? And so it gave us incredible freedom to really deconstruct everything else. So every, after that, you know, I started deconstructing um, the Bible um, hell, uh, salvation, um, you know, all these kind of different things. Um, Were other people in your congregation in the house church congregation, like deconstructing with you as well? Or was this just something that you and your wife were going through at the time? That's a good question. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone in the house church had at least deconstructed church. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. you, you wouldn't even be there if you had not, if you hadn't redefined what church was for you, you know, church wasn't, you right. didn't need a, uh, a pastor, uh, 501c3, a bank account, a building, you know, a worship band, all that stuff. So church was, they had deconstructed church. So the church was just God and a people and people that love God and God. And that was it. So we lowered that bar. And so, um, but yeah, we, I didn't um, impose any of my beliefs on anybody in our house church and no one else imposed anybody else, any other beliefs on anybody else in house church. So uh, because of that, you could believe whatever you wanted and we didn't care. Um, mm -hmm. So, and, and I tried really hard not to sort of like use the house church as a platform to advance my ideas. So I just, I was de deconstructing these things, but I wasn't pushing those things on anybody. And so, um, yeah, they weren't, they weren't necessarily deconstructing along with me. Although I think some of them had, you know, eventually on their own were deconstructing other things as well. Um, but yeah. What was the most difficult thing to deconstruct? Wow. The most difficult thing. And that's a that's... question actually asked on Facebook live right now by Julia Brockelman. And I think it's a pretty good question. Yeah. Hey Julia. Yeah. Thanks Julia. The most difficult thing. Well, I would say one of the most painful things, um, not in the sense that it was painful because it was, it was painful to rethink my idea. Like in other words, I wasn't afraid of my salvation or, uh, or anything like that. Uh, the, probably the most painful thing though was the church thing because we lost so many relationships um, mm -hmm. and uh, we got rejected. We got, you know, people ignoring you at Costco, pretending they don't see you and, you know, and people Ooh, calling yeah. you though. You know, I mean, I get heretic. the false teacher thing, heretic thing. I get that all the time. Yeah. But that was the first real uh, experience of that. And so that was, that was pretty painful. 
Um, but my other, other deconstructing, like it, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't painful to deconstruct like the Bible being inerrant. That just made sense. <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, duh. Uh, like deconstructing hell wasn't painful or difficult because it was sort of like, it was just studying church history and going, oh, it was, look at that. It was freeing too. It's like, yeah. It's like yeah. Oh, yeah. Whole, yeah. whole thing off your mind. It's like, why put that weight back on yourself? You know, like. Yeah. See, so much of the deconstruction that I've gone through, actually, in the long run, it really is more about freedom. It's about not being controlled by fear, not being Come manipulated on. by, you know, guilt and shame and all these kind of things that, um, which is interesting, right? Because when you start deconstructing those things, your friends and family and church you know, members who are still in, still into that, still believe those things, what's the first thing to come at you with? Fear. Yeah. You're in danger, yeah. brother. I'm praying for you. No, you know, you better <laughs> repent. You better. And cherry-picked Bible verses. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yeah, those are those are a given. That's, yeah, that's going to happen no matter where you go. It's going to happen. Um, so, yeah, that's a good answer. And the reason I was asking, because um, we were talking, and it was so beautiful listening to you talk about, you know, your relationship with God as a child. Um, I mean, to me, I'm thinking, listening to those stories, I mean, like most kids have imaginary friends, whether it be God or some sort of other relationship, you know, like that. And it's a healthy, it's, I think it's very healthy. And I think that like it very well could have been God um, teaching you. But I think it's crazy how even then at nine, before you were touched by religion when you deconstruct at whatever age you were at after your ordination like that you kind of sounds like you've gone back to what you originally believed about god to begin with like that that truth like no matter all the teaching all the experience that you've had through life all the indoctrination you've ended up right back where you started which I think is beautiful. And I'm about to tie this into something very relevant to the Fade to Gray team because there's conversations that we've been having behind the scenes about this whole deconstruction thing and about Christianity because we're all at different places. And and Seth, my, my wonderful, beautiful gay friend who b- believes in a, a belief system that sends him to hell and, and has a hard time letting go and deconstructing all that. That was one of the questions I asked him today earlier. I was like, because you know he's been deconstructing for years now, but what has actually quote unquote. But what has actually been deconstructed? And and there's a huge fear on his life that keeps bringing him back to well, if I let go of this, then you know like I'm going to hell. But it's like, dude, you're going to hell for liking dudes. So I mean, I don't know. <laughs> so <laughs> Keith, good thing health doesn't exist. I'm done. They, <laughs> well, it does, but it's not what you think it is. They asked me this question today on what have I deconstructed? And my answer was like nothing. Um, which then, but then I went into this whole tangent on how there are certain things, but they come in waves. You yeah. go back, you go back to them. Whenever. Right. Like yeah. there's there's moments in time when I will have um, a feeling of security and and, you know, feeling tied to my to God. But then there's moments where I definitely don't. And yeah. the frequency of those waves varies, especially if I'm having a hard time, which I have been lately, just in life in general, um, that like triggers like all of those negative 
things that were coming from my faith. Yeah. 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 So I don't know, you know, I'm not, I'm sorry. I'm not, I promise not to try to fix you. Oh, you're good. But, so in gen, but in general, let's just say in general, um, cause I mean, I talk to people all the time, like I'm doing this 90 day course right now called square one. And, um, and I'm actually on Monday, I'm launching square two, which is like the second phase of that. And, um, so just walking with people who are deconstructing and trying to help people reconstruct their faith and all that. And everybody's at different points in the curve and we're just trying to identify, you know, different things that most of us wrestle with or deal with and in general, you know, and, and again, I'm not trying to tell people how to deconstruct or how to reconstruct. I, I, I always say, I'm just wanting to lay in front of people sort of like a buffet of mm -hmm. possible things that you could try this and you can try that. And what works for you, go for it. And what doesn't, chuck it and forget it. But so in general, though, like some of the things I think that you can deconstruct your theology, you can deconstruct like, well, okay, the Bible doesn't actually say that. And historically, blah, blah, blah. And here's this other thing. And, oh, this makes more sense. So you can, you can deconstruct things intellectually, but that doesn't mean that you have deconstructed sort of that programming you got all your life in church that you are bad, you are, you're, you're a worm, and there's no good in you, and what a wretch you are, right. and Come don't on. trust your own thoughts because they're deceitfully wicked. And you know, if you you think that that's what you think, but you're wrong because you know God is holy, and like you just start playing these tapes again, right, all in your mind. And and those are the things that sometimes, I mean, I think it's important to deconstruct those things even even more um, because you can deconstruct the theology, but if you still in the back of your mind, your default position you fall back on is that sort of talk, that voice in your head. I mean, a big part of it is just recognizing that voice that you're hearing is not God. Come on. That's Come on. not God. Preach. Right? That's not God. <laughs> but okay. I'm going to chat. Okay. <laughs> so he always he is, can't is, wait. I'm going I'm to challenge you to protect his <laughs> guilt. I'm, okay, Keith, I am so sorry, gonna, but this is about to turn into something about me. And this happens in Fade to Grayland. And there's a whole theme around it called poor Seth, but we're <laughs> going to go there. This isn't poor Seth. So this is. Keith, you got it. <laughs> you, 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 you hooked it. So <laughs> I can deconstruct almost everything. Like when I, okay, that was an exaggeration. I don't mean it like I can de deconstruct everything, but I can destruct things <laughs> and feel okay and Is feel secure. Errant, Seth? So no, let me go. I'm going back. I'm saying there are certain things <laughs> that I can deconstruct and be okay with. But the thing that always pulls me back, there's two things. Okay. And no matter what I do, I cannot shake them. Um, one is just my family experience, specifically in this whole entire messaging that I was, um, this gets really personal, but like I was in a car wreck when I was six and like by all means I should not have lived and then I was supposed to die in my 20s. So I was like out of control and the very fact that I'm still alive like ties me to this really like to where I, I feel as if I am alive now for a purpose and it it's all like intertwined with my with my faith right and then the second thing is the fact that i am gay 
And I feel as no matter what I do, and I've done a lot of stuff. I've done years of therapy, but I've also been screwing done... you your whole life. What? <coughs> yeah, nice sex. It was a gay window. joke. Come on. Go, so yeah, it was well done, well played. But before, like, there's also I also spent six, well, three <laughs> months in a residential treatment facility trying to make myself straight. So like, there's right, yeah. there's a lot of you yeah. know psychological bullshit that comes along with this. But it's 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 like this gay thing is the that's what's holding me back from like so fully embracing I, deconstruction. And again, again, I'm not honestly, I'm really not trying to fix you. I'm just asking. I'm curious. You're good. So for you, when you say the gay thing, is it? I mean, do you still feel like? Do you feel like God? doesn't want you to be gay or can't accept you because you're gay or is that the problem that you're gay i mean what what about you being gay is the issue i'm good question well two things um scripture well you lost your audio too by the way yeah. i can't hear you yeah. you gotta be louder seth scripture okay which, which is inherent right inherent Okay, I understand, <laughs> but when it involves your personal identity, like that's where the whole thing with inerrant and inerrancy and scripture, where this gets so difficult for me, uh, yeah, because it it ties. Because if I say in scripture is inerrant, then it's saying that I could potentially be okay being gay, and what the fuck if I'm wrong? Um, and it keeps me believing in this text. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Be, it, like, it's not just letting go of the text. It's letting go of my identity and what yeah. I think that means. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. So, and that's where I get stuck. And then yeah. there's also this entire family narrative of this idea that, and I get it. My parents, I, I feel, whew, I'm on Facebook Live. My parents, <laughs> but they don't, they don't have watching. Facebook, so it doesn't matter. Okay. And Ooh. I don't think that any of my cousins or family listens to this podcast, so it does not matter. But what I, my parents, I, they're big fans of Keith though. So they're going to come and listen oh, to yeah, it. They, I'm sure they love my books. Yeah. <laughs> they, they don't have Facebook, so they'd have to like get on my Facebook to listen. Right. But so. there's a family tradition of that. There is a legacy um, of faith that has been passed down and this entire idea that I was I'm alive now for a reason I should have died when I was six and I should have died when I was in my 20s and I didn't yeah. and, and so, it ties but, but to that, this family why stuff. can't that I don't be know. true but the reason is first for you to get set free from this and then you can help other people get set free from it too you know what I mean and what if it has yeah. nothing to do with your belief system whatsoever? I, yeah, oh, yeah, that's true. Because Seth, I'm listening to you. Real quick? Yeah, yeah, I go, Keith. Yo, Keith, you please do, please do. Because um, I, obviously, I'm not gay, but for the longest time, I wrestle. My wrestle about the issue of homosexuality was about the scripture because I mm -hmm. had, mm -hmm. I didn't yeah. like that the scripture seemed to say some things I didn't agree with emotionally, psychologically, you know, whatever. Logically. But it was like, well, but I can't help it. I mean, there is first Corinthians and there is, you know, um, you know, these, these verses that seem to say a Romans, right? Chapter one. Yeah. And it seems sexual, like God sexual really, perversions or whatever. Yeah. 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 And so 
that was my that was my issue. I had friends that were gay and Christian. I had no doubt you can be gay and you can love Jesus. And that is not a problem because I know many people that are gay and Christian. So that must be a, I mean, that's not an impossibility. That's not an oxymoron. But yet my wrestle was still the, the scriptures. And I read tons of books. You probably have too. I read tons of books on this and none of them convinced me. None of them. I was like, no, sorry. Yeah, just, no, they never passed the smell test. It wasn't they cracking don't. the code for me. Now, I did eventually read a book that did help me. Um, and um, What's it called? I always forget the title. I think it's called The Bible, Jesus, and Sexuality or something like that. Something like that. Uh, I'll probably look it up real quick. I probably have it. Uh, it's a guy named Brown, Brownlee it's, or Brownson. It's in one of those bookshelves behind me. Um, we can look it up later too I'm just curious I'm a big reader and I did the same thing read all the books but never could Here it is. land on it here it is the bible gender and sexuality uh, reframing the church's debate on same sex relationships by James V. Brownson and it did a really out. good job right. it really did help me um, to turn the corner at least for me now again you're, you don't have to agree with me Whatever. Let's see this like, is the thing I, I reached a place where I, I felt like I could honestly say with, with standing on the New Testament, the New Testament doesn't condemn homosexuality as we know it. Romans chapter one is not a condemnation of homosexuality. I think actually you could just start at the beginning of Romans, read Romans one and follow his train of thought. It's not a condemnation of homosexuality. It's a condemnation of idol worship, which happened to involve same sex uh, acts. But if, if that same, if that idol worship had been something that was done, in other words, if worshiping those idols had been accomplished by having heterosexual sex, he would have said the same exact thing. And I wouldn't have assumed that must mean God hates heterosexual sex. I, why would I, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't impose that upon the text because I think heterosexual sex is cool. <laughs> but because, because it's homosexual sex, we just assume that therefore it's also a condemnation of the particular sex act being performed to worship idols. But that isn't the entire, that's not at all what he's talking about. That's one. And this is a, this is the quick version. And then of course, you know, Arsenicotai and, and um, Malakoi, neither one of those map to anything we would honestly look at as homosexual, like same sex, loving same sex relationships. Uh, Arsenicotai is basically, David Bentley Hart says this, and by the way, so does like a lot of other uh, conservative um, theologians will actually say that a Senecotai is talking about pedophilia. No, and I've Malakoy, heard. And I've, 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 is, is, what was that? I've heard, I've heard those arguments. Right. And Malakoy is actually more about, it means soft. And it really is, it was actually always, always in the first century, whether, whether it was used by Christian or non-Christians, Malakoy was always used as an insult to a straight man, always a straight man, calling him basically a girly man. You're, you like poetry and music, and you shave your beard. If you don't have a beard, you're Malakoy. And that's what's in Paul's head when he's using these, arguing for Malakoy. Uh, he's not, again, it's, it's, it's a cultural thing that in Paul's day, if you were a man with long hair or a woman with short hair, that was unnatural. And therefore, you wouldn't inherit the kingdom of God. Well, we wouldn't do that today. We'd be like, come on, Paul. That's your culture. You're imposing your cultural norms onto you can't get into heaven if you're a guy who shaves his beard. 
None of us today. He was racist. None so. of us today would agree with that. We wouldn't think, "Oh, brother, you shave your beard, you're going to hell." Well, We'd be like, "Come on, no, you wouldn't. That's ridiculous." If you're so Amish, yeah. if you're Amish, you might think that. Well, Two yeah. things. And there are some culture. yes that do take it that literally. Like we need to go back and have first century cultural mores and practice all this kind of stuff, but like, that's ridiculous. How do you do that, Seth? How do you break everything down to two things? I work really hard. First, <laughs> first thing. It's exhausting. It's called efficiency. <laughs> I, what if there thing. needs to be a third thing? Well, <laughs> or you can just like forget it, all of it and love yourself. So <laughs> first thing, I, I believe that the Apostle Paul. I, I believe that we can win. Was a homosexual. In fact, I am like, over seventy five percent certain. Right. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah. How could you? How could you know that? Thorn in the <laughs> side. He went back in time, thorn, Chris. Thorn in he went the back side. in time that seduced him. The thorn in the side was same sex attraction. And why does Paul focus so much on sex and relationships? Because he personally felt guilty because he was struggling with male attraction. That's my theory. I would okay, Seth. I would love to debate you one of these days. Let's set aside some time. <laughs> let's have a debate about the thorn in the flesh because I feel ninety nine percent sure that I could he's prove drunkard. that the thorn in the flesh was actually his eyesight. Okay. Oh, that. Well, listen, if it's his eyesight, I like that argument. I am going to be very disappointed. <laughs> uh, I will be very much. It doesn't make him, it doesn't so make him not clues. gay though. <laughs> There's so many clues that it's, <laughs> no, that it's his eyes. Even with the stuff that he's like, like even, wait, was that, G wait, I think I just mixed up with the Apostle Paul with Jesus. Who did the stuff? Well, maybe he's just mad. Before you start arguing Jesus. it. Yeah, I know. I got it. So, uh, but I, if we, we need to have a conversation and yes, I will come at you strong because I really <laughs> think that it's because he's gay. He's coming in strong. Yep, he's, he's coming in. in. Okay. Right. Drink. Jesus was into Mary Magdalene, not Barry Magdalene. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. Whatever. Number We're two. talking about Paul. He, not he has a number two. Jesus. And then I want to say something too, Seth. What's your number two? Who does number two work my for? My number two is that I, in all of this, like trying to <laughs> and find why is this security two in God. One? <laughs> Please don't make me lose my train of thought. Yeah. So, <laughs> I crap, Omar. I hate you. S security, <laughs> um, security about God. Oh, yeah, you're number two. Was gay. What was the other thing? So okay. In doing research, in like learning how to come out, and in like trying to find my security in God, in being gay, and and going through that entire process, I. A lot of my identity truthfully comes from what I think other people think. It's not actually, especially oh, in regards to faith, honest. especially in regards to faith, it's not even really what I intellectually fucking believe. It's what my parents and the rest of the Christian church believes. And, right, so and, and I will, at whoo, I am getting emotional. I will, like, feign truth and like accuracy in an, in order to feel accepted and loved. Yeah. And, and so to stand on this ledge and say that God's okay with me being gay, what the fuck am I putting at risk? And <laughs> I, what do you, so you're worried about what you have to lose, but what do you have to, to gain is also 
question. Right. And why do you think you have mental health issues? I mean, I gotta like- say something though. <laughs> Seth, Seth, Seth. Anybody I, I go crazy. This is like so cool. So I drink this tea um, where it's, um, uh, I can't think of the name brand. Uh, but is it Yogi maybe? It's, oh, it's called Good Earth. It's written right here on the tag. And on the tag, oh, yeah. it always has these little sayings. And I love, it's one of the reasons I like it because every time I drink tea, I get these little quotes. And I'm mm. not making this up, dude. This is the tea bag that I just got right before the we went bag. off. Got so other tea bags. Oh, Jesus has I'm a tea bag for you, Seth. I'm drinking tea now too. So He's reading the tea leaves. I'm reading this Shut quote up. for you, Seth, because God, this is, this is not an accident. Here's the quote. Care about what other people think and you will always be their prisoner, Lao Tzu. That's wow, good. that's good. That's for you. I'm going to mail that to you, buddy. That's for oh, you right there. I appreciate it. I love that. Well, really Michelle good. Collins and I are doing an entire series on imposter syndrome right now, and it's bringing good. a lot of this stuff up. Um, <laughs> and I think even after this, I'm going to have to, I'm inquiring that we do an entire series on like deconstruction and where we find value because I'm still working through this and I'm not there yet. Yeah. And it really became clear when the team asked me earlier today, what have you deconstructed? And I immediately came on like trying to list a bunch of things. And then everything I listed, I had to retract. And I was like, okay, where am I actually? <laughs> yeah. Well, it just shows, you know, and thank you for being honest. I mean, and, and vulnerable with that like that, Seth. I mean, because like, it, it's, um, it's never easy and it's, it is messy, right? It isn't... Um, I have like a graph that shows sort of like this progression of deconstruction and kind of you start off here and you start doubting and da 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 and it kind of goes down and then at the bottom is like despair and hopelessness and then you start mm -hmm. you come up the top and then it's more like okay you're starting to understand you're starting to get some new practices and beliefs and and at the top you're like helping other people behind you in the line and helping them deconstruct and it's this beautiful little thing but in reality it does, it never looks like this simple little, you know what I mean? A, B, C, D, E, F, G. It's actually like, bleh, right. bleh. it's like, and that's, <laughs> well, then that's and, what gets and that really... is reality, right? Nobody deconstructs in the right, in the same order. We all start in one place and we jump to this thing and we go back to this other thing and we rethink this and we go to this other, and, and that's just normal. And so you're, you know, you may not feel it, but you're probably actually exactly where you need to be right now and keep going. You know what I mean? Just keep on you're questioning and you're, and you're having conversations and you're thinking and rethinking and all that, you know, I think as long as you're moving, that's good. So do your books help with this kind of thing? Because I am deconstructing as well, but I'm in a different place than Seth is at. And like, I, Come I Come on. am currently in the place where I falter back and forth as to whether or not I even believe that there's a God. Yeah. Um, and Chris is all about like, well, yeah, duh, there's no God. Just join us over here, with the agnostics and the atheists. And I'm like, it does sound very tempting. I do like that idea. And then my husband, Omar, over there is like, oh, God's real. And I'm like, well, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, too. And I, I don't <laughs> like my brain just keeps wanting to go with this mystic idea and yeah. like what the <laughs> ancient well, mystics believed in and stuff. And I love that what idea. What is more but, mysterious like, than God? Right. Right. Well, I feel like I feel like this voodoo person, like, ooh, spirituality is real. Because only because I've experienced so many weird things that I cannot explain. Same. And so like, do your books kind of like help people in my situation who want to try and be very logical and sound, but I'm not that. I'm very emotional and very off the handle and very spiritual voodoo woodoo. Yeah. So well, I hope that I hope my books do that. That's kind of what I'm trying to do each of my books. That's why it's called Jesus on something, right? So what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm recognizing is, and most of this, again, was my own 
process and then I recognize it in myself and I deconstruct it and then I'm like, well, I can help other people hopefully if they're going through something similar. So in a a broad picture, I feel like there's all kinds of junk that we put or we allow other people to put between us and God. Um, And so that's religion and theology and politics and all these other kinds of things, right? And so I personally want to just get all that crap out of the way so I can get back, like almost like we were saying, getting back to when I was nine years old and was just as a kid, just being aware there's a God and I have a connection to him and that's enough. So um, uh, my books, yeah, so I have a book that kind of deconstructs the faith and politics thing. I have another book that helps, you know, deconstruct the church thing. Uh, A book, uh, one book, Jesus Unbound, that kind of deconstructs the scripture, like, you know, the Bible, the Bible never points us to the Bible. The Bible always points us to Christ. Um, You know, the Bible is like a menu that's telling you about a meal that you are actually supposed to experience. The menu isn't the meal. It's a map pointing you to a treasure that you're expected to experience. It's not the treasure. When we make the map the treasure, you don't get the treasure, right? So it's sort of like the, the book, the Bible's okay. I mean, it's got a lot of problems, but you don't make the book the goal, right? The book is pointing mm-hmm. to yeah. a connection with God, with Christ. And, uh, and then the one about hell, Jesus undefeated, is just sort of like trying to debunk, on the one hand, debunking the whole eternal torment thing, I can just, I honestly feel like I can flat out say with absolute authority, it, the, there are three views of hell historically, okay? And I'm so glad you're saying this because earlier, whenever Omar said there is no hell and you said, well, it's not what you think. Yeah. I was going to, I was really wanting to ask you about it. So let's hear yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. So here, here's it is in a nutshell. There have historically always been three views of hell in Christianity. Now there is no view of eternal torment in the Hebrew scriptures. It doesn't exist in the Hebrew scriptures. It does not come from the Hebrew Bible at all. It cre- where did it come from? Crept in in what they call the intertestamental period, which is at the, uh, they already finished, you know, writing the Hebrew scriptures and that gap between the closing of the Hebrew canon and the, and the coming of Jesus. It kind of crept in mainly through Egyptian sources. So that's where the concept comes from. It's already kind of creeping around in Jewish circles when Jesus shows up. The Pharisees, by the way, they embrace that idea. So it also makes you kind of go, well, would Jesus have been on the team with Pharisees? It seems like he kind of wasn't on the same page with them especially with some with a belief system that didn't come from the Hebrew scriptures or the prophets. But anyway, I'm digressing. There's three views. And why did the Pharisees like that? They liked it because they saw that other people weren't as pious as them. Fear and and control. Fear and control. So real quick, let me just say this real quick. Always three Christian views of hell from, you know, early, early Christianity, eternal torment. We already mentioned Uh, annihilation, which is the idea that if, if you die without Christ, you're just obliterated. And, um, universal reconciliation. So, I mean, at this point, I honestly feel like I can say with absolute confidence of those three views, um, the only two that have any scriptural basis, a real scriptural basis are annihilation and universal reconciliation. Eternal torment, it just isn't taught in the New Testament. It's not taught in the Old Testament, period. And then people say, oh, well, gee, no one talks about hell more than Jesus. Really? Because let's look at those hell verses that you are saying is Jesus talking about hell and you know what he's actually doing quoting old testament prophets who i just told you don't know anything about eternal torment so if he's quoting jeremiah isaiah all these guys what were they talking about they were using apocalyptic hyperbole to warn people that destruction was coming in the form of armies the babylonians the the you know the egyptians all these other invading armies can come and kick our ass 
if you don't change the way you think, right? And Jesus is doing the same exact thing. He's not talking about where anyone goes after they die. He's warning them AD 70 is coming if they don't stop trying to overthrow the Romans because the Romans are going to squash you like a bug. That's all he's talking about. So um, anyway, so that idea of hell, uh, you know, the recognizing that there's always been three views, that of those three views, the minority position was eternal torment for the first 500 years of church history. The majority view was it was universal reconciliation. Like that's like what? Yeah, so wait, what? Um, I forgot what universal question I'm answering. Anyway, that's what that book is about. <laughs> I'm going to check that one out for sure because yeah. I... And that was Jesus I, Unbound? Jesus Undefeated. Undefeated, yeah. okay. So again, so my comment, so let me, let, me, let me just answer that comment. I can do this quickly. So when I said yeah. th there is a hell, it's just not what you think it is. So the, people assume falsely that universal reconciliation teaches that when anyone dies, we just all automatically take the express elevator to heaven and being, hey, welcome to heaven, everybody. There's snacks in the corner, <laughs> grab, a, you know, grab a party hat you know, get some drinks, let's go. That's not what universal reconciliation teaches. What universal reconciliation teaches, and again, tons of scriptures support this idea, this view. It, it is taught by Paul more than anybody else, actually. Uh, we didn't have Paul, we wouldn't even have this view. Um, it, what, what it teaches is universal reconciliation believes that everyone passes through the fire. Jesus says, everyone will be salted with fire. Paul says um, that all of us will pass through the fire, and if we have gold, silver, and precious stones, it'll be revealed. And we, we have, if we're, if it's all burned up, wood, hay, and stubble, and there's nothing good remains, yet will he be saved, but only as those who pass through the fire. So, in other words, Mother Teresa passes through the fire, Billy Graham passes through the fire, Jeffrey Dahmer passes through the fire, you, me, and everybody. We all pass through the fire, but the fire, the purpose of the fire isn't torture. The purpose of the fire is, as it says in Hebrews, when a, God, when, when a father, a loving father disciplines his child, it's because he loves him, and it's for a purpose. It's to reveal, right, to, to, draw, to draw him to righteousness, to bring good in him. So it's never pleasant at the time, doesn't feel good at the time, but it has a positive end. It's for purification and renewal, right? And so... So it's it's the opposite. It's the universal reconciliation, the way the early church believed it for the first 500 years, was that everyone passes through the fire. It's just that the nature of that fire wasn't, you know, pain and torture. Sounds like the fire it might was, just be living life on this earth. Well, I mean, I, their, <laughs> their view, I think their view is more, you know, you can get really more existential or whatever into it. Like we we, we come into the presence of God. And being in the presence of God, uh, what that does is pure, we experience a sort of purification process, right? I mean, I don't, I don't think it's actual flames. It's not fire. That's a metaphor, right? Uh, it's a process by which we are, um, you know, we're, we're, all things are made new. Exposed, really, right? too. That's the whole thing. And I feel like that, yeah. that's why I almost I see that happened just in real life, like 2020, you know, it could be like the fire where like, where things get turned up in your life and the things that are, are worth having and worth, you know, like your family and your friends and the things that are actually important yes. are the jewels that are in your life. They get exposed and, and yes. all the other things that we've built up in capitalism and all the things that, that we think, 
you know, like is important, you know, of all of a sudden is just is gone and it doesn't matter anymore. And it's like, what have we been fighting for? What have, what does our jobs even mean sometimes? So I think that's yeah, yeah. very relevant. And, you know, we could be passing through the fire right now. Keith, man, like, yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. or it could be signs of the end times and Jesus <laughs> is coming back because scriptures yeah. are being somewhat yeah. confirmed right now. It's kind of a, I mean, it's kind of a joke at the moment. I wrote a book called Jesus Unexpected. It's about the end times and the second coming and the rapture and dispensationalism and all that. Oh. Uh, you know, all that end times date setting garbage, you know. Tim uh, hey, tell you what, saving lives. That's the thing, yeah, though, is you want to believe wait. that stuff, don't you, Seth? <laughs> no, <laughs> Brian Zahn actually de- helped me deconstruct the rapture. It's oh, a joke. Oh, good. The he scripture says. in the verse used to justify the rapture was actually speaking of when Jerusalem was destroyed, which had happened yeah. like way back in the like it was actually referencing a future event. Or no, wait, it was for them. The it was a future event. event for us. It was in the past. Yeah, correct. Yeah, Matthew twenty four. Um, Matthew twenty four. The Olivet Discourse is all about the yeah. coming destruction of Jerusalem. I got that. That I got through. Because it didn't have to deal with my identity, <laughs> or how I, where I where I rank oh, my identity. But if when it comes to that, it's a little different. Well, well yeah, and I'm yeah. sorry that, and I brought that up earlier, Keith. And thank you for like you know yeah, allowing us to take time to talk about Seth. And as we're talking, because it sounds like your books and like just the whole way you you look at deconstru- the deconstruction process through the lens of like Jesus and. It seems like it's filled with a tons of scripture to back up a lot of your, where you've got to, even though you've deconstructed scripture as well, which I think is, it's cool and interesting, you know, like how like a lot of, you know, people that we talk to, they're on this deconstruction path, whether or not they even identify with Christian anymore, can still see the Bible as extremely useful tool. Um, yeah. Yeah, see, now, that's the thing. Like, it's so funny because, like, for people that are fundamentalists and stuff who, who do think the Bible is this perfect document, see, they all think, I, they think I'm a heretic. They just think I'm... I mean, you I'm run a podcast called Heretic Happy <laughs> Yeah, Hour. oh, yeah, but I mean, that is... I, mean, I, I had a friend who actually told me not to write that book. He's like, it's over. It's going to be game over for you. The minute you say that the Bible is not the absolute authority and it's it has mistakes and, uh, you know, there's problems with it. Um but I'm just trying to be honest about it. But, but at the same time, um, I, I mean, I just have a, I don't just think it's only the Bible, right? right. Like, I, yeah, I appreciate we have the, the New Testament, especially in the words of Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount. I, I think that's great. Like Paul, most of the time, I think Paul was on the right page and a lot of times he's misunderstood. Uh, that's a whole other issue. But I also don't think like, like for me, when I talk about inspiration, right, when we talk about something being inspired, like, um, I use the analogy, like if I was driving in the car and I heard a song on the radio, and it could be a secular song, by the way, this happens to me a lot. It's not even a Christian song. Dylan. I just hear a song, and like, all of a sudden, man, the words hit me, and I just like, ah, oh, I'm like crying, and I feel like God is speaking to me through the words of the song. I'm like, oh my gosh, wow, God just like connected some dots or just blessed me or something. Like, wow. What song came and to your go, mind when you're telling that story? Uh, it was Atlanta Smorset. Okay. What if God is one of us? Isn't it ironic? Her her voice is an angel. <laughs> no, I know. I try to think of the song. His song called um. <laughs> Omar, that's not even Alanis Morissette. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Same era. I can't think of the name. Of it. It's not one of her Same popular era. ones. It's not one of her more popular ones, but it's a song about how you love my dark and all that. It's, it's something like that. Anyway, 
So anyway, I hear this song, not even a Christian song. I feel like God speaks to me. It's this beautiful truth, right? So I'm telling you. And if you say, well, Keith, so you that song was inspired. Do you mean God wrote that song? No, I don't mean God wrote that song. Okay, is that song inerrant and infallible? No, that's not what I mean when I say it's inspired. <laughs> what I mean is the creator of the universe used that to speak a truth to my heart that was true. And God can do that through a conversation over, you know, at Starbucks. He can do it through a, a painting. He can do it through a walk in the woods. He can do it through anything he wants. So many and any things can be inspired. It's not limited to a book that was written 2,000 years ago, right? Yeah, it's just really sad it stopped. It didn't stop. <laughs> That's my point. God has never stopped communicating, right? He's never stopped expressing himself but they, to his creation. They stopped adding to the canon. Oh, yeah. Well, no, it's we, because it's a system of control. They don't. Right. They like what they put together, and you're going to abide by the rules and regulations of that book, and it's going to be a nice and neat religion that doesn't cause any problems. Like that's that's the whole point of the canon. Yes. So Constantine Constantine set that in motion, and what's interesting is Constantine did not care. No. He didn't even know enough to to guess. You know, he'd only been a Christian probably a few months. He didn't care what books they picked to canonize. He just knew they needed to pick some. And once they had something, now we have something that we can use to control and manipulate people. I believe. I honestly believe that was the the rationale to it, because so, because prior to Constantine. Christians went 300 years. They didn't care about that. They never like, oh, we must figure out. Like on their own, Christians never felt like we have to have one <laughs> single canon that we all agree on is the one thing. God allowed Seth it looks to miserable. happen. God allowed uh, it to happen. Yeah, sure this did. was Seth. occurring, and this has resulted in over 2,000 or almost 3,000 years of corruption. He allow also allows babies to be aborted like every day too. So what's that mean? Well, I'm just saying God watched this happen and he allowed it to happen. So, so it's really hard to too. see What's how he point? can be against it. But in the <laughs> Jewish on. culture, like arguing is fine. So I get it that they would have differing books of the Bible, like but differing opinion, opinions in the Bible. God, look There's at not what God one steps. canon, but this is the problem, right? There's not one right. canon. So like in the Western <laughs> church, we have 66 books, but in the Eastern Orthodox, they have like 88. And then like in the Catholic church, Apocrypha, they got like, yeah. you know, and, and so there's actually like, yeah. which which canon, tell me, which canon was the one God cared so much about that he protected it and made sure that all those books, but the others he give, give a crap about? The one you were raised in. Them, just happens, God just That's happens right. to really care <laughs> about the canon that I was born into, yep. that, that my faith tradition follows. But those other Christians, oh, they're just wrong and God didn't really care about them. Really? I mean, Maccabees. I mean, come on, they're Catholics. <laughs> or they're Eastern Orthodox or they're Ethiopian or whatever. But they're still... They still love Jesus and they're still following the scriptures. So it's like, it's so arbitrary. Look, look, I, gosh, yeah. we got to get us to our heads. This is great. God Keith. did not write the Bible. We did. People yeah. wrote the Bible and they collected right. it. We're the ones that, that picked this one and not that one and this one and the other one. It's, it's completely arbitrary. We made that up. God did not do that. How do you elevate yourself? above all of this rhetoric how do you step above like you how, say fuck the bible no, and start that's what it seems like it seems <laughs> like it's either fuck the bible or i believe all of it how do you elevate yourself to understand and be secure without having your faith in it and not abandoning it 
please tell fade me. Fade to gray. All right, I hold am. on. I want to I show you this. I want to show you this. This is good conversation. I think that's a great question because Paul, I think, even addresses that, and I'm looking for it. Uh, Wouldn't you rather be talking about your interview with Anderson Cooper? I didn't mean, for real. Yes. No, this is, I think this is important, though. Um, much actually, more entertaining. Okay, okay, we've been, we've been doing this for <laughs> like two years now, and he hasn't deconstructed anything, Keith. But, okay, but, no, but, no, but, shut, but, up, but good luck. shut up. I have an answer. Just listen to Keith. I have an answer. Ready? First Corinthians chapter 2. Paul asked Verse the 13. same question, and he says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? And he's actually quoting from Isaiah 64. And then Paul's answer is this. But we have the mind of Christ. That's why I can do that. Because Isaiah didn't have the mind of Christ. Christ hadn't come. But Christ has now come. And now I have the mind of Christ. And I do think I have the ability to, because I have the mind of Christ, I can look at something and say, oh, no, that's bullshit. Jesus isn't like that. That's not God. I can read the Old Testament scriptures through the lens of Christ and say, okay, when God commands, hey, I want you to take your sword and cross the river and go kill children, toddlers. I want you to find pregnant women and cut their bellies open. And don't you show mercy. I can tell you right now, that's not Jesus. And so I can also then say, because I have the mind of Christ, that is not what God ever told anybody. Hmm. Interesting. So and you're I, actually I like able... I like that a lot. So you, so you intellectually challenge... Okay, hold on. This is going to sound really yeah, stupid because no, we're talking about deconstruction. But you, so. you are able I mean, to look at the Bible and trust some things and look at other things and challenge it. As long as those some things are Christ. In other words, I read Scripture through the lens of Christ. And so because I know Christ, first I know Christ. Abide in me and I will abide in you. All right? Without me, you can do nothing. By the way, when Paul Paul even says this, Paul says that he says, even today, even to this day, when we read the Old Testament scriptures, a veil covers our eyes, and only in Christ is that veil removed. So if you try to read the Old Testament without the lens of Christ, Paul says you are guaranteed to read it the wrong way. You're going to misunderstand it. You won't see it. Only in Christ is that veil removed. What's happening in the mind of transfiguration? I'm sorry I'm getting round up. What's happening in the good. transfiguration? Good. Go. Right? So here's Jesus, right, on the Mount of Transfiguration. And all of a sudden, standing with him is Moses. This is not an accident. Moses stands for the law. And Elijah. Elijah stands for the prophets. And Peter makes the same mistake we make, the flat Bible mistake. Peter says, oh, this is wonderful. We have the law, we have the prophets, and we have the Messiah. Let's make three tabernacles to honor all three of them equally. And God's response is what? Takes no. Moses out of the way. Nope. Takes Elijah, the prophets, out of the way. He leaves only Jesus. And he says, this is my son. Listen to him. Game over, lesson over. That's the only point of the mind of transfiguration is to correct that misunderstanding. It's Christ. Listen to him. Not the law, not the prophets, Christ. That makes sense why the Old Testament would be so different from the new. You have heard it said, but I say to you, that is a challenge to the Old Testament. Paul, yeah. Jesus challenges Moses All constantly. Constant. He even says yeah. that Moses never even saw God. Yes, John says yeah. John says no man has ever seen God at any time except for the son. And and G and then Jesus even says it in Matthew, he says no one knows the son except for the no one knows the father except for the son and to whomever the son chooses to reveal him. 
both John and Matthew agree that, that if we had a clear view of God without Jesus coming, then we didn't need him. But Jesus came because we had a wrong idea of who God was, that God was angry and wrathful and vengeful and, and vindictive and petty and all this stuff and jealous. No, Jesus shows up and says, okay, you want to know what the Father is like? Look at me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm going to show you what the Father is like. And that's how we know who God is, because we look at Christ. And if God in the Old Testament doesn't look and sound like Christ, it ain't him. It's not really him. Why can't the church show that? Why can't the public Because then they're not going to make any money. Why can't (laughs) the public perception of, of Christianity and who God is actually represent God? Because... As someone who is a validation junkie, it's very hard to trust that when the church speaks so strongly to well, the Seth, other. Well, even yeah. the Bible shows that the church has never represented God. I think the Bible is, right. like shows you the answer is there. It's never like there's never been one right church that had it figured out. Like, yeah, the, yeah, <laughs> the problem is we have a Christianity today, especially that's more. It's basically Judaism with a cross on top. Like, that's why hmm. Christians, we love the Ten Commandments, man. What? What Damn happened right. to the Sermon on the them. Mount? Are you we kidding me? We need them me? on all our like, government properties and our yeah, schools. We are we're still so <laughs> law-based and, and, and Ten Commandments-based. Like, right when Jesus, Jesus came to set us free from this stuff, right? And, and partly it's because it's really difficult to build a religion on the stuff that Jesus talks about. Because the stuff he talks about is love God, love your neighbor. Okay. Why do God I need for to your go? brother, yeah pay some money to a guy up there on a pulpit. So you got to construct a religion again, for the fear and control and doctrines and do this and do that and don't do this. And now we're back under the law again. And, um, and we also dangle out in front of everybody. This drives me crazy. We constantly dangle forgiveness in front of people all the time. It drives me nuts. We go to church and it's always like the first half of the service is God forgive us. Oh, we're not worthy. Oh, please forgive us. And maybe we take communion and then, Oh no. Okay. Now we got forgiveness, but come back next week. Because you're going to sin a whole lot more, and you're going to need to forgive us again. We just, we just, it's like, it's like to even say, "Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world." Really? Because all I experience is, "Behold the Lamb of God who keeps reminding me what a sinner I am." Does He take the sin away or not? Yes. What was God doing? God was in Christ, not counting our sins against us, but reconciling the world to Himself. Okay. Jesus. Forgave all the time. Can I Jesus make a point off sins. that, uh, Keith, about the uh, God taking away sins and the fact that, like, tying this back into this Seth conversation from before with the, like, because because you say your sexuality <laughs> is one of your major points that ties you to Christianity. Yes. And, Correct. And you also, I can you, fight you, you on this. Also, by the way, I know where you're going. And you've also prayed to God how many times to make you not gay? Like the gay is a sin. Like, but if gay, if if God takes away all sin, then He would have right. already taken away you being gay. Could, so you, you being don't. G- okay, well, I shut up. I'm stepping <laughs> in. Shut up. So I've been shut up all. I, no, okay. I don't. How is it I, that the straight man's trying to convince the gay man that being gay is fine? I still don't understand this. I've never, I've never seen this before. Well, I'm just trying to defend myself. You're trying to. You're trying to yeah, defend. You're, you're, you're trying to defend script, scripture. You're not yourself. I'm not coming at you. I'm coming at. This is this, one of those this is conversations we have all the time. Seth. I, we overhauled our yeah. issues with a guest. This is not good. This is one of the those SBDM things where you're like really into shame and stuff, right? <laughs> I don't even know what I was going to go now. Well, you just wanted to cut me off because you were, you didn't like what I was saying. 
And all I'm saying, yeah, say to, what you were and saying. all I'm saying to you is like, why not let go of these things? That are causing oh, you shame. That are causing you to feel like there's something wrong with you. Like, like you said, or like you said Seth. yourself okay, earlier, first of all, that you're first more of concerned all, with, with people's opinions of, on you, which affects every relationship you have. It affects our relationship every day. That you think that my opinion Shut of up. you is some way. No, I, I love okay, you. We have I, to- this is, I, and I've, and I heard you express your heart earlier. And I've been listening. I've been listening to Keith has made some amazing points, very well articulated by the man's book. I love everything you've had to say today, Keith. It's been, it's been great. And he's not saying that you have to like deconstruct your family. It's like, I want you to let go of things for your own mental health personally. So there are some things that can be forgiven in a time, right? I go to the grocery store and I steal a Snickers. And some things that don't need to be forgiven okay. is my point. I can go then <laughs> and hang I can on, go Hang to, on, hang on, hang on. So God's forgiveness is conditional? No, let me tell the story. 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 Okay. Okay. I could go and I can do something that is bad. And then I ask forgiveness for that action and it can be granted. Okay, but forgiveness being has already gay, been done. He, how can you being forgive? Gay, oh being gay is not something that I can ask forgiveness for. Okay, good, it be forgiven, good. and now I'm clean. But you're not. So not you never need to be forgiven gay. for that. I made a you commitment you to live in sin. <laughs> you ne- you, you never we are need. all talking over one another. But let me finish this point. Because we're trying to one shut you up. Is a one-time <laughs> offense that can be forgiven. The other is a lifetime, lifelong sinning. I am making a choice to live outside of the doctrine of what He has commanded. It's, Shit! All my back homophobia up, back came up. up. Yeah, it did. I am so sorry, Back Keith. Up, because you I said, am so sorry you that said you came homosexuality is who you are, not something you do. Yes. And then you flipped it and said that it was something you do and not who you are. That's right. He, he didn't need to forgive you. He created you fearfully and wonderfully made. If he was going to change you, he would have done it when you asked him to or where he's not a good God. Yeah, it's it's sort of like, like honestly, uh, it's almost like I can't imagine praying that God would help me not be heterosexual. Maybe not. Maybe not. Of course not. Like, you're privileged. You're that's, chosen. That's, it's, it's like a, being me, a white see, straight male. Sex addiction. Sex point? addiction. Maybe. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> like, but what you're saying, though, Seth, sorry, Keith. That was see, a funny joke. But it's what. It, but it, you know what I'm saying? Like when I hear you say that, it's like, it's like it's the same as if I were to tell you I'm I've been praying and praying that God would not you know would would help me not be straight. Then you'd be a priest. Why? Why would I do that? Like, why <laughs> well, would if I God, God said it's a sin, damnable to hell, and you wanted to be a Christ follower and you wanted to go to heaven when you but die, if, I mean, is it not within realm of that you would ask that question? Yeah, but but again, I mean, I get it. I I understand the systems that have convinced exactly. you that you need to behave that way. But it's sort of like I I would encourage you to really spend time looking at some of these things we're talking about, like about how, about how, like everything Jesus talks about, again, forget your church and denomination and sermons you heard and all that's bullshit, right? We have to go back to like, just really what is it talking about? Like, yes, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. First Corinthians 13, you know, love keeps no record of wrongs. God is love. God keeps no record of wrongs. God was in Christ not counting our sins against us. Not. He's forgiven them. East from the West, gone. It's over. Jesus forgave sins all the time before the cross. You know what? You know how many times Jesus forgave sins after the cross? None. 
the last thing he says is as they're killing him, he says to them, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. What have you done that's worse than that? He forgave them instantly. It's done. Like There are no sins that are not forgiven. He's already forgiven all of them. All Jesus ever did was forgive. In, in fact, not only does Jesus always forgive sins before he even, even asks to be forgiven, he, you know, I think it's connected to this idea of like, again, if we see Christ, we see the Father. Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing. So what do we so, see Jesus doing? Forgiving all the time, constantly. So then, he just so then, forgives. So, okay, so that, then my question. That's what the Father does. So then my question then is then are you suggesting Strong that point. when we go and we ask for forgiveness, that he is forgiving us both past and future sins? Yes. Or just past? Yes. No. Yes. Because I, the way that it I understand it is finished. my it is, relationship yes. with God is that it is a walk and that it is a day-by-day -day thing. And and oh, my God. Therefore, Have you heard about sanctification and justification? It becomes a duty. Oh, my Lord, conservatism <laughs> is coming out. But, like, it is a day-by-day, walk-by-walk thing. So God can't forgive future sins. He can well, only when, forgive When you look back, is it just one set of footprints? He's omniscient. He's outside of time. He if he's real, he's outside of time. He's already not counting our sins against us. What, is, what does that mean? God has not counted our sins against us. That means if you have a sin, he's not counting it against you. He only counts what, what you've so done. So even if homosexuality is something wrong that you can do, yes. you are already forgiven. Yeah. Is God counting out so against even you? No. No. And, tie, no. and tying that, So no matter what, homosexuality is okay. okay. And tying that back <laughs> into what Keith was saying earlier about the whole hell thing, about things burning away it's like so yeah he's not tying any of that any of that shit that we've done that we think is bad that's the shit that gets burned away too and yeah, the thing yes. and the thing that's left is the thing that we've done with our time here on earth that we never get back and like i'm, right. I'm sure loving yourself is one of the things that jesus said we have to do in order to love god anyway because we have to yeah. love our neighbor as ourselves, love god like then love god and so it's like how how are we gonna do that if we're not first loving ourselves? Yeah, no, I, I, that's that's good, Omar. See, I think, yeah, if we can really grasp that idea that ultimately, in the end, all of us, I mean, we're talking people, murderers and people of horrible, horrible, horrible things. Yes, those people will be transformed and redeemed and made new again, restored. Why? Because they're the children of God and he loves them. And you too, Seth, there's nothing you could ever possibly do that would ever make God not love you, not call you his son, not be committed absolutely to complete the good work he's begun in you. And it's going to happen. It's going to be fine. You're going to be okay. You're not going to be rejected. You're not going to be tortured for eternity. You are just loved. And he's not counting your, your sins against you. That's not even what he cares about. And Chris that's will be there the too. Table. The reason Jesus came was to deal with it and wipe it away, and he did. He did it. It's over. It's done. Like you said, it's finished. So let's move on from sin. The only people counting sins are you and me. Like, we do that. He doesn't. God keeps no record of wrongs. How can See, God I don't. I can't do it. I can't do it. It is my Southern Baptist roots just, and my strong just, conservative just, family. He just quoted just scripture stop, at you, just though, Just stop think who you're arguing with now. You're not even arguing with me anymore. Uh, this, this, is, this, know, is, this is Keith Giles, Keith, I'm sorry. who you respect a lot, who you invited onto the podcast, <sighs> who, who you like what he's doing with Heretic Happy Hour. 
and we're and we're and we're loving Let's on talk you. Talk about heretic. Well, no, we're, we're, we've been we on for an hour and a half. That? We need to wrap this up. We need to wrap this up. So. <laughs> like on a weekly basis. I would love to. <laughs> Daily. This has been a great we conversation. You're a great happy guy. hour, please. Yeah, tell us a little bit about your podcast please. before we go. We talked about some of your books. Please. But... Let's talk about Heretic Happy Hour. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so I've been doing this podcast for almost three years uh, called the Heretic Happy Hour Podcast. Started with me and two other choir authors, so, uh, Jamal Javanji and Matthew DiStefano. Uh, so it's a choir. Oh, My publisher, choir, actually produces it. Ralph Polindo is the producer. And uh, it's a lot of fun. I always say, when I explain it to people, I say it this way: like it's um, an acquired taste, and you not everyone will like it. I have good friends who don't like it, and that's okay. Uh, there's a lot. Do we drop f bombs? There's a lot of cussing, and mm. and the, 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 the main thing that we do. Oh yeah, the main thing we do every episode is whatever topic we're discussing. The three of the three hosts don't always agree. Now I, I'm saying three hosts, but now Jamal has left, so now we have four hosts. We've added um, Derek Day. Who's okay, amazing. yeah, and Doctor, uh, we and know Dr. Derek. Katie Valentine, and she is a genius. She has like a master's or something in New Testament theology. She's way smarter than me and Matt both. We're both trying to keep up with her. Um, <laughs> Come at me, bro. Yeah, so so technically, yeah, yeah. Wait. <laughs> Just anyway, the, the three of us, uh, the four of us now, the four of us don't even agree on everything, but we get to model what it looks like to to uh, disagree and still love yeah. each other, respect each other every episode. So that's what I love about it. Um, it's a lot of fun. Sounds great. Yeah. We'll just have to check it out. Sounds yeah, good. Yeah, it kind of sounds like it. Yeah. Although we don't spend all this time like trying to fix each other's stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps, hey, do you mind mentoring the Fade Gray team on it, that? Because we could really better. It's, it's really that. funny if you listen to our last episode. We had uh, uh, Mark... Carson, uh, he wrote. Uh, oh, yeah, I love yeah, you. Oh, God. Uh, those refugees. And, and, yeah, and he, he picked up right away. Like, uh, I don't know what was going on with us at the time, but there was just a weird. We normally have a you weird. Were being we an normally ass. have a weird dynamic, you know. Seth and I. That's a, that's a weird way of showing his love <laughs> it was towards me. You were being a jerk. Do you really? <laughs> yeah. You're being jerk. Where was I being a jerk at, Seth? Actually, let's not get into this on the podcast. We got to go. Yeah, anyway. See, this is it. Yeah, anyway. Oh, CNN. It's okay. We Check him out. He was on CNN. Like two minutes. Two minutes and 10 seconds. Yeah, I was on CNN. Yeah. And then I got accused of being like a CIA operative or an Antifa provocateur. I'm not real. Like, dude, this is the deepest cover operation ever for like a two minute, just for a two minute segment. You don't even know. All right. So when we put this episode out, we're going to title it Keith Giles, Antifa. Giles. Giles. Well, Antifa was the whole punchline. And okay, you guys are correcting me. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Giles. (laughs) Appreciate you, man. Seriously. Thank you, guys. This is fun. Have a great weekend. All right. Take care, guys. All right. We're off live. Thank you so so much, Keith. That was really fun. You're listening to the Fade to Grey Network. Hey, these are the movies that molded me. What's up, podcast listeners? This is 
Elizabeth. And this is Chris. What's going on? It's Omar here from Movies That Molded Me. What is Movies That Molded Me? It's the most fun podcast around. (laughs) It's a movie ranking (laughs) game show where we take our favorite movies from a specific topic or genre and play against each other to create the definitive top five list. Where can we find Movies That Molded Me? You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And then if you want to follow us on our socials, you can find us at Movies That Molded Me on Instagram, Facebook at Movies That Molded Me, and Molded Me on Twitter. Check it out. It's a lot of fun. (laughs) You need to listen to our show. Omar. 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 What are you doing?